Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Man, this has been one of the craziest weeks I can think of. Just so many things going wrong in our city. You got the power going out, you know, all over the state. So many people losing power, losing water, having to boil water, trying to figure out do we have enough firewood, grocery stores having to throw food out because they can't keep it cold. And just, just a wild kind of week. And, and what, I've, what I've learned as I've reflected upon this week and I've seen other people reflect upon this week is that perspective is absolutely everything. Because you can go through the exact same event and if you have a different perspective, you'll walk away feeling very differently about it. So, so let's just take this snowmageddon that we've had this past week here in Texas and, and let's just talk about the different perspective between a child and an adult about what happened this past week. I guarantee you, when a child wakes up with a blanket of snow on the ground and an adult wakes up with a blanket of snow, they have very different perspectives about it. Every child, when they wake up and they see outside, especially in Texas where it hardly ever happens, they see snow all over the place, two thoughts come into their mind. First thought is, school's canceled. The second thought is, do you want to build a snowman? I mean, just automatically, we're going to go outside, we're going to play, and we're going to have a blast because there's snow on the ground. It is like pure glee and bliss and joy because it's magical for them. They, they feel like when they see that snow and the freezing temperatures, this is a gift of God they're going to get to enjoy. Adults, not so much. Now, sure, we, we have that moment. We wake up and there's the awe of looking around, seeing the snow on the ground. And maybe, just maybe for a few of us Jeep owners, we, we, four, we get our four-wheel drive out there a little too much and start driving in places we probably shouldn't. But once we get that kid out of our system for a little bit, then we start thinking about the situation. It goes from joy to worry almost immediately. Because there's so many things that we got to think about. Oh my goodness, what do I do if my pipes freeze? What do I do if I lose electricity? And then when I do lose electricity, what do I do to keep my family warm? Do I have enough firewood? Have I, have I stocked up enough on food? Do I need to go to work? My boss tells me I got to be in, but the roads seem treacherous. And if I don't go in, I'm not going to get paid. And if I don't get paid, I'm not going to pay my bills. And on and on it goes. And we get so worried, so immediate. We don't look outside and see a winter wonderland. We see a burden and a nuisance that we cannot wait until it melts. There have never been so many Texans excited about summer as there are right now because we just want to make it through all this snow and this ice. It's crazy. The exact same situation. And a kid and an adult have such radically different perspectives about what took place. Our perspective is an incredibly powerful force, ultimately, because our perspective controls what we see. My, my wife and I, we have so many, such different perspectives about so many things in our world. I mean, just, just take something as simple as like a rose bush. My wife and I have radically different perspectives because we see something very different. When my wife looks at a rose bush, she, she sees these beautiful, fragrant blossoms that open up on top and, and she loves them. When I see a rose bush, do you know what I see? I see a bunch of wooded thorns. That's what I see. Because I'm the one that has to trim them and keep them in check and all that. And I, all I see is tattered clothes because I'm going to be messing with these thorns. Same rose bush. My wife sees blossoms. I see thorns. Now, every one of us is wired one way or the other toward naturally. Some of you naturally tend to see the blossoms. Some of you naturally tend to see the thorns. But every single one of us, whether we lean one way or the other, we have to learn how to control our perspective because ultimately our perspective will control how we engage with the world around us. 
I mean, make no mistake about it. Like I said, your perspective will control what you see and what you see will control your attitude. Your attitude will control how you interact with the people around you and how you interact with the people around you will control whether you push them further away from God or whether you draw them closer toward God. Your perspective is everything. This, this morning, we're gonna hear from the Apostle Paul and he's gonna tell us that one of the chief assignments that God has given us as his people is to be light in the middle of an incredibly dark world. And the only way we can be light is if we have the right perspective. In fact, this morning, he's gonna tell us there are three things that we have to have the right perspective upon. And if we get these three things in right order, then we'll discover the incredible life that God has designed for us. And it's interesting, he doesn't start out with our perspective of the world around us. He doesn't say, look around and see what you see. He starts off with perspective of self. Now, I want you to write these these things down because you're gonna need these notes because they're gonna add up in the end. But here's the first thing. You need a right perspective of yourself. Write that down. You need a right perspective of yourself. This is where the Apostle Paul starts in Philippians chapter two. So open your Bibles, if you will. Philippians chapter two, we're gonna begin in a moment in verse 12. Now, what we're doing here, for those of you who are watching for the first time, we're going through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're about halfway through chapter two. Now, last week, we read one of the most incredible passages in the entire Bible. Paul talks about the nature of Jesus Christ and how he went down in order to go up, how he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. And therefore, the Father exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Such a marvelous truth. But he told us that truth last week to remind us that we too should humble ourselves like Christ and wait for the Father to exalt us. Now he's gonna build on that. You're gonna see the first verse starts with the word therefore. Because our God exalts those who are humble. Because of the model of Christ, therefore, we need to walk in radical obedience. So let's pick up. We got Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, so starts off, therefore, like I said, because of all that God has done, because of the model he set, therefore, we should walk in radical obedience, living every single moment of our our lives for the sake of our God. And then Paul says something that is incredibly easily confused and distorted way too often. In the second half of verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I've heard so many people, when they think about this particular passage of scripture, they wrongly conclude that what Paul is saying is we have to work for our own salvation. Like it's something that we can earn or we can achieve. But let me point out here, it doesn't say work for your own salvation. It says work out your own salvation. And those are very different concepts. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it ever tell us that we can earn or achieve or work for our salvation. In fact, the very book right before Philippians is the book of Ephesians. If you were to flip over just to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, listen to how clear the apostle Paul makes it here. He says in verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is not your own doing. You cannot save yourself. You cannot achieve salvation. He's saying it is the gift of God. It is God's work. Christ himself has done it for us. We did not achieve it. This is what he digs into in verse 13 of Philippians 2. After he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he says, for it is God who works in you. God is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now listen, he's saying here that your salvation is the work of almighty God, not your own earning. There's a play on words here. It's a little hard to see in the English, but it's very evident in the Greek. He says, you work out 
because God works in. You work out your salvation because God works in you. In other words, it's the power in you. We're just, we're just living out the implications of what God has already worked inside of us. God saved us. God redeemed us. And now because we are saved, because we're redeemed by his work, we, we work that out. We live out the implications of that. Basically, what Paul is saying is remember who you are and start acting like who you are. It makes me think of the Lion King. You know, you got Mufasa and Simba. Simba's out there wandering around like a vagabond, like he's not the king. And Mufasa has to come to him in a dream and say, Simba, remember who you are. Remember you're the king. Well, this is what Paul is saying to the people. He's saying to you Christians, remember who you are. He's saying, you guys, God has worked in you to secure your salvation. Therefore, you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. You are adopted in the holy family of God. You are the child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who you are. And this almighty God is in you. That's who you are. Remember who you are. Don't for a second think that you're a failure or think that you're some second class citizen, even though you're in Philippi and people treat you that way. Don't for a second think that you're an outcast or a misfit or like you got something going wrong in your life. No, you are a child of the king, of the infinite king himself. And Paul is saying, remember who you are. I think so often we forget who we are. We forget that we're an adopted child of the king and that we've got a seat at the banquet table of Almighty God and we're out in the dumpsters looking for some, some food, some morsels when we got a ribeye waiting for us in the king's table. And he's saying, stop forgetting who you are. Live out the implications of your faith. Work it out because when you know who you are, you'll squeeze every last drop of what's been given to you. That terminology, work out your salvation. That idea, that Greek word for work out is used in a lot of different uh, attributes of normal Greek life in the, in the biblical times. But one of the main ways it was used is was working out in a mine somewhere or working out in a field somewhere. And the idea is, imagine you own the mine or you own the field and you're supposed to go work out in that field or in that mine. The harder you work, the more you extract the precious metals inside that mine or the harvest that you bring in, the more you get to enjoy what's already yours. That's the idea here. Because we've been given salvation, we should work our tails off to squeeze every bit that the Father has for us. We should work hard at obedience and serving God. Work out our salvation. We should live up to the high calling that we've been given. So God does his effort to save us and we do our work to make the most of what God has given us. But it only comes when we have a right perspective of self. We have to know who we are. But one of the reasons why I think we have a wrong perspective of self is because we have a wrong perspective of the God at work in us. That's why Paul says what he says is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul is going to make three references to biblical times to the nation of Israel. And this is the first one. He's talking about how the nation of Israel was supposed to regard Yahweh God with fear and trembling. They were supposed to be in awe. And this was not fear or run away from God, but fear as in I respect this almighty God before me. I treat him with appropriate reverence. And the reason he's saying this is because he knew that the nation of Israel had a good understanding of who their God was. They knew that Yahweh God was the one who simply spoke and the stars came up to be in the heavens. This is the God who when he moved, mountains would shake and the earth would quake. This is the God who had infiniteness inside of himself. And when this almighty God was around, you approached him with fear and trembling. And Paul is saying this infinite God is inside us. He is inside God at work inside of you. And when you know that kind of God is inside of you, then you know who you really are. 
Paul is saying, have a right perspective of yourself. And when you have a right perspective of yourself, that'll lead to the second truth. The second truth is, and write this down, you need a right perspective of your service. You need a right perspective of your service. You have been saved for a purpose and that purpose is so that you'll serve Almighty God. That's what he said back in in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have been saved for service, service to Almighty God, to work for his good will and pleasure. And what what the Apostle Paul is gonna say as he moves on is he's gonna tell us that God has saved us and redeemed us because we can work for his service by being a light to the dark world around us. Listen to what he says. We keep moving on. Verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He says, guys, I want you to be lights that shine. That word lights is is actually the word luminaries or stars. Think about the heavens. When the heavens are dark and you see the beautiful stars that shine down, that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be different, luminous in the world that we live in. And he tells us right from the bat, the one thing that will rob us from it. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If there was anything that dimmed the light of the church, it is grumbling and disputing. This is prevalent in the church. And there's a reason here that Paul brings us up in the church in Philippi because apparently there was some problems with disunity in the church. There was grumbling and arguing and complaining and fighting in the church. In fact, he's gonna get more explicit about it in chapter four when he calls out two women who were fighting in the church and he asks them to reconcile. But here you begin to see the beginning of it. If we have disunity in the church, it dims our light. And so Paul says we cannot have grumbling or disputing. Now, this is the second reference Paul is making to the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament. He's remembering what happened to the nation of Israel when they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. If you know your history, they were freed from Egypt, slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They go into the the wilderness and they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years before they go to the promised land. The reason they wander around is because they were constantly grumbling and arguing and complaining and faithless. They would grumble about everything. They grumbled about their freedom. They wanted to go back to slavery because at least they had the certain kind of foods they enjoyed back then. And then when God finally did give them food, as they were wandering around, they complained that all they got to eat was quail and manna. And then when God told them to stop, they complained they wanted to keep moving. When they had to keep moving, they grumbled and complained because they wanted to stop and settle down. They just grumbled, grumbled, grumbled all the time. And because of it, they got the wrath of God. There were only two people who were allowed to enter into the promised land. It was Joseph, I mean, Joshua and Caleb. Those were the only two because they were the two who didn't grumble and complain. The rest of them were wiped out because of their faithlessness as they constantly grumbled and complained. And Paul is saying, don't be like that nation of Israel that was always grumbling and disputing. You've got to be different. Now, guys, I I gotta be honest with you. If I could just say this, this has to be one of the most exhausting aspects of ministry is the fact that there is so much grumbling and complaining in the church still today. But we we are far too skilled at these two things. And and Paul is really bringing up two different aspects of what dims our light, grumbling and disputing. They're they're both negative, but they're very different in the way they approach their negativity. So I'm gonna start with the second one, disputing. Disputing is, is vocal argumentation. It is vocally coming against somebody else, contradicting somebody else so as to arise suspicion or doubt or distrust in somebody else. It it is bold confrontation. 
Now, I know most of you watching this, you're going, well, I'm not a very confrontational purpose. I probably don't struggle with that. Well, I might believe that if I didn't get to see so many people's social media pages. Man, it's, it's remarkable how quick we are to be argumentative, how arrogant we are to put out our opinions everywhere as if we're right and everybody else around us is just foolish. This is what dims our light because the world sees the church being proud, thinking they have the answers to everything, not listening to anybody else. And all they see is arguing and disputing, even among the church itself. Well, we struggle immensely with this and it dims our light. But, but if I were being honest with you, I think that our bigger problem isn't disputing, it's the grumbling section. Now, grumbling is not like disputing because it's not direct in your face. Grumbling is this low-toned murmur that brings about negativity to everything around it. And it's insidious. It, it, the way it spreads inside the church, it leads one person to feel negative and another and another and another. And we are just like the, the nation of Israel wandering around. We grumble about everything. I mean, we, we have a, a new generosity initiative in the church where we're going to be able to plant more churches and adopt more children and, and do more beautiful things. And there's grumbling, ah, another ask for money. All this church cares about is money, money. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We say, it's time for us. We're going to have an adoption Sunday. We're going to encourage the church body to be a part, bring a child into their home and be a part of the adoption ministry. And my goodness, I always, I, they make me feel so guilty around here that I haven't adopted four kids and it grumble, grumble, grumble. We do a, a push for discipleship groups because we want people to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And, and people say, oh, man, I tried that a few years ago and it was a waste of time. I don't know why we're doing this. A grumble, grumble, grumble. COVID hits, we have a pandemic, we're trying to decide when do we open the church, when do we not? And we, out of caution, we keep the church closed so that we're not having big groups and people grumble, man, why won't you let me gather with a church body to worship? Then we finally decide to gather together to worship and we got other people going, man, you're, you don't even care about the elderly and the vulnerable, you're gonna kill half the population, it's gonna be your fault, and a grumble, grumble, grumble. We come together and now we're meeting and people going, what do you mean I have to wear a mask? It's infringing upon my rights and grumble, grumble, grumble. We're so good at grumbling. If I seem a little sensitive, it's because I am. I'm, I'm tired of the grumbling that I hear constantly inside the church. And what I think exhausts me isn't, isn't trying to lead to the grumbling as much as it is no one who is a saved person who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ has a reason to grumble or argue or whine. But we, we, are, we have a perspective that needs to be adjusted right now. I mean, this, this past week, I think it taught me so much. Our perspective matters in how we treat what we're going through. There were many of you who lost electricity and it'd be very easy to grumble in that moment. Why in the world do I have to go through this? Whose fault is this? Who do I get to blame for this? But if our perspective would shift and we would say, how crazy is it that we live in a time in a country where we have electricity all the time and we're going through this season without electricity and it just reminds us of something we have completely taken for granted. And maybe we should stop and say, praise you, Jesus, that I get to live in a moment where normally I have electricity. If our perspective would be right, we wouldn't grumble and complain. We'd be rejoicing that of what we've been given. Same thing for water. And we got to boil our water. And man, this is so inconvenient. And we grumble, grumble. But if we would just stop and say so much of the world, even today, has to boil their water before they drink it because they don't have fresh water. And you and I, we have fresh water coming out of our pipes normally that we can drink from a, a faucet in our sink. We don't have to have it filtered and boiled and all that. If we would just stop for a moment and say, oh my goodness, God has been so gracious to us. Maybe we'd be praying for those other countries who don't have fresh water and we'd be saying, thank you, God, that you give us that. And this little season when we've gone without all is done is served to remind us of the gift we've been given. 
Our perspective changes everything. And when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we know we've been redeemed, we've been purchased, we know who we are, we are saved children of Almighty God and our eternity is set, why in the world would we complain and grumble and whine? Our perspective needs to shift. And the reason why is because as long as we're grumbling and complaining, like I said before, we will never be the light of God that we're supposed to be. This was the same mistake the nation of Israel made. This is the third reference now that we have back to the nation of Israel. It's the fact that the nation of Israel was supposed to be the light of the kingdom of God, showing the world what it looks like to have Yahweh God as your king. And yet they grumbled and complained to the point where they are the ones who became the, the crooked and twisted generation. This is the very thing the Moses, the, the great leader Moses called his people out for. I want you to keep your space in Philippians 2, but I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 4 through 6. I want you to see he's going to use that exact same terminology about a crooked and twisted generation, but you're going to see he's talking, Moses is talking about the nation of Israel. Verse 4 in Deuteronomy 32 says this, the rock, talking about Almighty God, the rock, he, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with, with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? He's talking to the nation of Israel and he's saying, you guys were supposed to be the light showing the world this good God who created us. But you've rejected your God. He said, you're blemished. You are a crooked and twisted generation. You are not shining the light of God the way you're supposed to. And then you flip over to chapter two. And he says, Paul says to the church in Philippi, don't make the same mistake. Don't be a crooked and twisted generation that fails to shine light. No, you are supposed to be different. You are supposed to be lights who are not crooked and twisted. And he tells them how. And in so doing, he's telling us how. We choose to be different from the world, which is crooked and twisted. He says we're supposed to be blameless and innocent. And those two words, they're, they're beautiful words. To be blameless means to be the one who can never be accused. We are not the ones doing wrong. We're not the ones stirring up trouble. And then innocent, it means inexperienced and evil. It, it means that we are choosing to walk in ways that we do not experience evil. We choose a different pathway. When the world chooses this crooked and twisted pathway, we choose a straight and narrow pathway. We walk in the ways of God in obedience to him. And when we do that, we shine the light of almighty God. Because when we live differently than the world, the world takes notice. This is exactly what we talked about last week. I mentioned to you that when, when we walk in humility, when the rest of the world walks in pride, they're gonna notice it. When we choose to be generous, when the rest of the world is stingy and grabbing for themselves, it will call their attention. When we choose to be kind, even when others are mean, even mean toward us, the world will take note. We can be light in the middle of a dark world if we'll just choose to be blameless and innocent. Now, I, I want to forewarn you, though. If you choose to walk in obedience to God, you will draw attention, but it may not always be the attention you want. I'm thinking about that phrase, innocent and evil, that idea of, of being inexperienced with evil. I guarantee you, if you're in high school right now and you're watching this and you decide to walk in innocence, to be inexperienced and evil, it will oftentimes get you to be a place where you're mocked by the people around you. 
a young man who decides that you want to remain sexually pure, you want to be a virgin until you're married, I guarantee you there are going to be moments in high school when others will mock you and try to shame you for choosing that. If you're a young lady and you decide that you want to walk above reproach in how you treat others and what you say, and you're not going to be a part of gossip trains and speak evil about others, people will shun you and push you away. If you're a guy on the team and after the game, someone's big brother got them some alcohol and they're going to go out and get drunk and you choose not to do that because you're underage and you decide to walk differently, you will be mocked and shamed by those around you. If you choose to go to church and to make God important in your life, tell others about Jesus, it will bring about mocking and shame. You've got to be aware of it. It's not always going to be easy to draw that kind of attention. By the way, it's no different with adults. If you choose to maintain a moral standard different than the rest of the world, there will be times when you'll be the, people, the center of people's attention and it won't always be good. I mean, just, just look at how they treated Mike Pence whenever he talked about the fact that he didn't travel around with a woman in order, in order to be above reproach. Look at how he was mocked in the media for being prudish and sexist and mistreating women and all, all this kind of stuff because he wanted to live differently. There will be times at work where you may be asked to do something to bend the rules and bend the laws a little bit. And if you decide not to do it, you may be chastised and you will be cast aside and maybe even mocked for what you're doing. When you choose to walk in God's ways and be light, people will come against you. You can guarantee it. The Bible says it. You go read 1 John. It talks about how the whole reason they went against Jesus because Jesus was light and darkness didn't want the light. And so they rejected and crucified the light. And when we walk in light as well, it will not always go easy. And we need to be aware of that. But there is something that makes it worthwhile. Something that gives us the gumption to walk as light even when the world doesn't want light. And that's the third perspective that we need. So the first perspective, if you remember, is that we need to have a right perspective of self. Second one is you need to have a right perspective of your service. And here's the third truth you need. You need a right perspective of your Savior. Write that down. You need a right perspective of your Savior. You need to know who Christ is and what he's done for you. That's what he was getting at back in verse 16. If you were in verse 16, he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. When it says holding fast to the word of life, that phrase word of life is referring to the gospel, the message, the word that brings life. He's saying we've got to hold fast to the truth of who Jesus Christ is to get a right perspective of our savior that Jesus Christ knew that we had sinned, that we had rebelled against God, and that the only way that that could be redeemed was for, for him to come to earth to earn the righteousness that we couldn't earn. And when it came to the end, it came time for him to die the death that we deserved. And Jesus Christ was willing to do so for broken people like you and me so that we could be redeemed and given salvation. And when you and I remember all that our Savior was willing to do for us, how he loved us, if he calls us to love him back by being light, by being different, for living from his, for his will, surely we would say yes. If we have a right perspective of our Savior and what he's done for us, then our answer to the Lord is yes. You want me to live different? You want me to be different? Yes, God, because I know who you are. We just need a right perspective of our Savior. But here's the best news of all. When we have a right perspective of our Savior, we're going to be ready for when our Savior comes back. That's what that part was talking about. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Listen, one day that Jesus, that resurrected king is gonna come back to this earth. And when he comes back, we want to be living for him. 
We want to be looking out for his interests so that we hear well done when he comes back. The apostle Paul was saying, I'm living for that moment. This is why I'm willing to be a light, even if it means suffering, even if the world doesn't accept it. Because I have a right perspective of myself and I have a right perspective of my service and I have a right perspective of my savior. But here's what's so great about this. When, that, when our perspective finally comes into play, we get something totally unexpected. Maybe you can think of it a formula like this, like you see it on your screen. When you have a right perspective of self plus service plus savior, it equals abundant joy. That's what God brings to us. Abundant joy. This is exactly how the Apostle Paul finishes up this passage in verses 17 and 18. You're going to hear him mention the word joy four times in just two verses. Listen to what he says. Even if I am poured, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That, those phrases, be glad and rejoice. They're based on the same Greek word, Cairo means to rejoice. So be glad and rejoice and you should be glad and rejoice. Four times in two verses, he talks about being glad, overwhelmed with abundant joy. Now get this, he's talking about in the worst of circumstances, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. That phrase poured out as a drink offering, it, it's referring to, to him pouring out his own blood, being a martyr, giving up his life for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying, if, even if I have to die for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I'm okay with it. I receive it with joy. Now, if that sounds odd to you, that shows me you didn't hear the message two weeks ago. You need to go back and listen to that message when the Apostle Paul told us why he feels this way. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he knew that for him to die meant that he was gonna get to be with his treasure, his savior, Jesus Christ. And he knew that was the best of all things. And so he could say, even if I'm poured out as a drinking offering, even if I die, I know that I'm gonna have my treasure and I rejoice in it and you should rejoice with me as well. Come what may, when our perspective is right of who our savior is, when our idea of ourself is right, when we know we live for his glory, when we serve him, all of that will bring us joy no matter what's coming. We get to be the child that goes out in the snow and enjoys it instead of being so overcome with all of our worries. Now, I wanna go back to what I was saying at the beginning. There are children all over the place who just absolutely love snow days. And you wanna know why they love snow days? Because they know mom and dad are gonna take care of everything else. They're not worried about heat because mom and dad are gonna find a way to make sure they stay warm. They're not worried about losing the electricity because they know mom and dad will either get it back on or take us someplace where there's electricity. When the water goes out, they're not worried about it because they know mom and dad is going to make sure they got enough water to drink. When food feels like it's getting low, they're not worried about it because they know mom and dad are going to give them food on the table. They know mom and dad have it. And so they can just go out in the snow and play and have a good time. Well, this is where it comes back to you and to me. We have a heavenly father who is willing to take care of all of our needs. And when we know that he's gonna take care of all of our needs, he's gonna make sure that we're warm. He's gonna make sure that we have what we need. He's gonna make sure that we have life. If our daddy is taking care of all this, then you and I can go out in the snow and just play. No matter what life brings at us, we can find joy because we have a father who is in charge of all things. It's only when we forget that our daddy has everything under control that we start to grumble and to complain. So my question for you is, do you believe the gospel of Jesus? Because that belief, that's what's gonna cause you to know your father's got all this. Because if our father, if he would be the one who would say to us, 
I love you so much. I'm willing to give you my one and only son so that you can be redeemed to me. Why wouldn't he give us everything else? We just have to hold fast to that word of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and know the heart of our father. Because when we know his heart, we know he's going to take care of everything. And we can find joy in whatever comes because our daddy's got this. So here's my question for you. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, it's, it's not enough. I, I say this all the time. It's not enough just to watch an online worship service or, or to go to a worship gathering somewhere or to, to like Jesus. That's not enough. There comes a moment when we have to say, I give you every bit of my life. I'm living everything for you where we redefine our perspective of self based on Christ and not ourselves. That we can't attain our salvation, that we're broken sinners. But we know that when we redefine ourself according to Christ by our faith in him, that we can now live for him and for his glory instead of our own. And he becomes our master and we become his grateful servants. Question is, have you come to that place? Because God has called you to be light. And you can only be that light when you are blameless and when you are inexperienced, innocent, inexperienced in evil. Is that you? Maybe you're going, Jason, man, that ship has sailed, brother. I've made too many mistakes in my life. I'm already filled with blame. I've already screwed some things up. I'm experienced in evil. I guess I'm out. Well, let me tell you the good news of the gospel. The gospel message is that Christ on the cross, he took all your sins. He wiped them clean. He has made you blameless and innocent. He has restored your ability to be light. But it only happens when you trust in him and let him cleanse you of all your unrighteousness and make you whole again. But you gotta claim it by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to? If you are, the word of God is very simple. But it says you've got to confess your sin. That, yeah, you're damaged goods of your own doing and you've got to ask him to forgive you and give your life to him and you will be saved. And then the Bible tells us that we're supposed to declare our salvation, our trust in God through an act called baptism. Now, I want to bring that up because in one week, we're going to have a baptism celebration and you can be a part of it. I'm afraid because of all the weather and all the things going on in COVID, there are many of you who know you need to take the step of faith, but you're holding off and holding off and holding off. Listen, don't miss this opportunity to declare your faith in Jesus Christ and to find the one who is worth living for. If you're ready to take that step of faith, all you got to do is let us know and we can get you signed up for it. You just text the word next step to 94253, just like you see on your screen right there. Or you can go to the website, fielder.org slash next step, and you can let us know. It's very simple. You give us basic information, what campus you normally attend, what language you prefer. If you attend a physical location, which campus is it? Or if you watch online, you can let us know that. And then you just tell us whether you're ready to, to get baptized or place your faith in Jesus or you want to pray with a pastor and someone will reach out to you and just give us name, phone, email, and that's it. And your job is done. Within 24 hours, one of our pastors will reach out to you. But please take a moment and let us know. But I also know there are many of you watching this, you've already taken the step of, of faith, of getting baptized, of declaring your faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to make sure you understand this is not a one and done kind of thing. Like, oh, believe the gospel, I'm done, I can move on. Uh -uh. No, we have to constantly come back to the gospel. I want to point out one quick word, verse 16. It says, holding fast to the word of life. That, that phrase, holding fast, it's, it's called a present tense participle. When it's present tense participle, it means it's something you got to keep on doing. In other words, uh, it could be translated, you got to keep on holding fast to the word of life. In other words, every morning you wake up, you got to grab a hold of the word, word of life again, the gospel of Jesus, because you'll forget again and again and again. And so we're going to finish this morning holding fast again to the word of life through the taking of the Lord's Supper.
And we're going to remember that Christ's body was crucified for us and his blood was shed for us. And we're going to grab a hold of that and we're going to redefine ourselves. In those places where we have not been blameless and innocent, we're going to ask for forgiveness. And we're going to remember that the cross of Christ is enough. So I want you to get your hearts ready. If you're a believer, get the, the elements ready. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a moment. And then after this song of worship, I'm going to lead us as we take the Lord's Supper. Get yourself ready.